Or James chapter 5 and verse 1, James chapter 5 and verse 1, we'll read 11 verses there uh, tonight and take a text from one of the verses and uh, try to preach a little bit tonight. We appreciate you coming. We've got a great crowd tonight for Sunday night, uh, especially on Time Change Sunday, and a good crowd tonight for any Sunday, and we appreciate you being here. James chapter 5, verse 1. Bible said, Go to now, you rich men, and weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the labor who hath reaped down your fields which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth, and have been wanton. Ye have nursed your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he doeth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he hath received the early and the latter rain. Be also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned, because the judge standeth before the door. Take my brethren the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Thank you and be seated. Our Father, we ask your blessings tonight upon the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of James, uh, when you start reading James, it's, it's different from... First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Third or First Jude, or or the Book of Jude, or First John, Second John, Third John. Uh, the language is just different in it, and it's because that the Book of James is really it's kind of a Jewish book. Uh, actually, we're told that in James one and verse one, the Bible said that. Uh, James said, A servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. So we're told who this book was sent to. Sent to the twelve tribes that are scattered abroad. When we read it like we did tonight, we find a lot of references to the second coming. Uh, we find that in verse uh, 7. He talks about uh, the Lord coming. Uh, we find it uh, different places in there. And in the book of James, he's talking about the coming of the Lord. And then it surrounds, it. it is, uh, it is a book that shows suffering, has a lot of tribulation talk in it. Uh, for instance, he uh, talks a lot about patience, verse 7, uh, verse 8, uh, verse uh, 9, he talks about patience. And uh, that's a word found often during the tribulation. The Bible uh, talks about that in the book of Revelations, chapter 13 and verse 10. He said, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity, and he that killeth with a sword must be killed with a sword. 
And here is the patience of the saints. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Chapter 14, verse 12. Uh, he says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and of the faith of Jesus. And so the book of James has got a lot of Jewish language in it we don't use today. He talked about the Lord of the Sabbath and just about the judge. And there's a lot of languages there that we don't use in the grace age. And so the book is primarily written to the Jews. He mentions Job in one of the verses there we read in Job 11. He said, You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. If you know much about your Bible and you studied it or been around anybody that has studied it, you know that Job is a type of the Jew in the Bible. You see, Job was hated of the Lord. I mean hated of the devil. You remember when the devil come to the Lord and he said, Have you seen my servant Job? And Job said, You just let me at him. And uh, the devil had a real hatred for Job, just like he has a real hatred for the Jew tonight. You say, why does he hate the Jews so much? Well, for one reason, they give us Jesus. And for another reason, they give us the Bible. All the Bible writers. And so, another reason is, he knows they were God's chosen And he, he realizes that they were God's chosen people and that God's not done with them yet. So I'm just trying to establish uh, the fact that the book of James is primarily written to the Jews, probably during the tribulation time. He talks about a lot of that. Satan or Job was hated of the devil, and Job was surrounded by people that were supposed to be his friends that hated him, like Israel. Israel surrounded by people that ought to be their friends, but they hate them. They talk bad about. Him. They talk bad about Job. And then in the end, Job does a self-judgment and repents and God restores him and gives him back everything he'd lost. That's what's going to happen to the Jew. They're going to repent of their rejection of Jesus and they're going to receive Him during that tribulation, at least a remnant of them is. Uh, they're going to repent and turn to the Lord and the Lord's going to restore the Jew. And that's why He's not done with them yet. God, Paul said that God cast away His people. He said God forbid. Uh, so it's primarily talking about Israel. So you can get messed up in doctrine if you try to apply the book of James to the church doctrinally. But there is things in the book of James uh, that we can apply tonight. And that's what I want to preach on tonight. And in uh, James chapter 5 and verse 11... He said, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Endure. My subject tonight, for just a little bit of time, my subject tonight is Christian endurance. Now, when we read about the Jew during the tribulation time, the Bible said they must endure until the end to be saved in Matthew 24. Uh, they have to endure during that tribulation time without taking the mark of the beast, without being beheaded. And if they can endure until the end of that tribulation time, they'll be physically saved and be able to go over into the millennial kingdom when the Lord Jesus comes. 
But you and I do not have to endure for our salvation. We live in an age that salvation is by the grace of God plus nothing, minus nothing. And the Lord said, I give unto them eternal life. They'll never perish. My Father's greater than them all. No man's able to pluck them out of my hand. Verses like Peter that said, Make your call and election sure and you'll never fall. And all the other verses in the Bible that have to do with eternal security, none of them have anything to say about us having to endure until the end and the possibility of losing our salvation because we cannot lose it. But the Bible does tell us that you and I are to endure some things as a Christian. And tonight you and I as a Christian we are to endure some things. And I'm going to give them to you right out of the Bible tonight. Over in Second uh, Peter chapter 2 and verse number 3 the Bible says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. In other words, we are soldiers in God's army. Uh, we, we sing that little song the kids do and we have many songs in our songbook that talk about us being a soldier and holding the fort and we have uh, the whole armor of God that we're to put on that we might be able to stand. And so as soldiers, you and I are called upon to endure hardness. This is not the message uh, that the faith and prosperity preachers preach. They preach that if you have sickness or hard times, uh, there's something wrong with your faith or maybe you're not even saved. But the reality is that the Bible says that we will have hard times uh, as children of God even though we are saved and even though we are going to heaven, the Bible says uh, that there will be hard times to come our way and we are to endure them. Uh, we're not to faint in them. We are to endure them. Now, we're not to endure them so that we can be saved. We are saved and we're going to be saved. Uh, but we are to endure them because, number one, we are soldiers of the Lord. And do you know, as soldiers in the Lord, when we endure our hard times, others that are in the battle with us, they look around at us as we're going through hard times uh, and, and when, we, when we endure those hard times, uh, it gives great courage uh, to the other soldiers that are in the battle. Amen. Amen. Uh, I don't know about you, but I've looked at, especially as a preacher, I have looked at preachers that are older than me and are, have went through major battles, maybe with their health or their church or whatever it might be, and they endured them. They never did quit. They never did throw in the towel. And I have sat sometimes up here on this platform uh, feeling very, very discouraged and very down and out. And all at once the Holy Spirit would make me think of a Dr. Sheets or a Tom Tuggle or a Jimmy Hood or somebody I know that has went through real hard, discouraging battles. Uh, and you know what? That encouraged me. That encouraged me. Now, I have known other people that are soldiers also in the Lord, but when the hard times come, they didn't endure them. 
When the hard times come, they dropped out of the battle. They went AWOL. They uh, fold down their arms and they left. And you know what that does? That greatly discourages. One of the most discouraging things that I have ever experienced in my life is when fellow preachers fall and when they drop out of the battle. I guess that's been some of the most discouraging times in my life. Even though you didn't do it, it almost makes you feel like doing it yourself or quitting yourself because of the discouragement. So as a soldier, you and I are to keep on so that we might be an encouragement to other soldiers and not a discouragement. We are to stay in the battle. Jesus is our example. We're not to quit. You say, why are we to do this? Look at our text there. Uh, Not only because of what I said, but look there in uh, verse 11. And he says, uh, let me see, uh, back in Timothy, I'm sorry, back in Timothy. My mind's tired tonight, you'll have to forgive me. Back in Timothy, we read there verse 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, look at verse 4, that he may please him. The reason, one of the main reason you and I are not are not to give up during hard times in our life is that we might please the Lord. When the Lord looks down and sees these hard times coming upon God's people, I, I, I won't start naming them tonight because there could be so many hard things that people go through. But when you go through them, the Lord looks down uh, and He's pleased with you uh, because you endured uh, the hardship. Amen. Amen. Look in James 1 and 12. James 1 and 12. The Bible tells us there in James 1 and 12 another thing that we are to endure. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. God only had one son that was sinless. That was Jesus Christ. He's the only one that never did sin. But God did not have any sons that were not tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. Now, sometimes the devil makes people think that it is a curse or it is a sin to be tempted. It is not a sin to be tempted. Everybody's tempted. It is only a sin when we give in to that temptation. The Bible says that we are to endure temptation. Jesus is our example. In all things, Jesus is our example. Did Jesus endure hardness? I I used the verse this morning in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Where the Bible said, Wherefore we are compassed about with so great a, a crowd of witnesses, let us lay aside uh, the, the sin and the weight that do uh, us so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Uh, and the Bible said, Jesus endured the cross uh, and he despised the shame. We look at Jesus going in the garden against Gethsemane. We look at Jesus going to Jerusalem. And Jesus endured hardness. You and I are to do it like He did it. Not only did He endure hardness, Jesus endured temptation. 
in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. We won't read them tonight. But the devil came to Jesus three times and tried to tempt him. Jesus never did give in to any of the temptations. He only quoted Scripture and endured uh, uh, without seeing those temptations. Did you know that the devil came in the Bible? He tempts everybody, but he tempted the most spiritual man in the Bible apart from Jesus. You say, who was the most spiritual man in the Bible apart from Jesus? Well, it would be a toss-up to me between Joseph and Job, but I'm going to say Job tonight. You say, why? Because the devil didn't come to God about uh, devil didn't come to God about Joseph, and God didn't say, "Have you seen my servant Joseph?" But he did. Job. Job was the best man in the whole earth. The Bible said that Job eschewed evil. He done right. He lived right. He done right. The Bible said that he was a righteous man. But you know what? The devil came, and and, and God gave him permission to tempt Job the most spiritual man in the Bible. You say, how the devil tempted him? He tempted him to try to get him to curse God. And you know what he did? He killed all ten of his children in one day. In one day. And, it, and when, it, when it was all over, the Bible said Job shaved his head he, uh, he, he shaved his head, put, put on sackcloth and ashes, covered his head, and the Bible said that Job got down uh, and he said, he said, The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, you say, what happened? Job endured that temptation. I mean, that's pretty hard temptation to endure. Amen. I want you to know that the devil didn't give up. He never does. You know what he did? He turned right around, come back, and smote Job with balls from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, turned his own wife against him, so to speak, and his wife came to him and said, Why don't you, what, curse God and die? What's the devil trying to get him to do? Curse God. And so it's... it's, it's it's no coincidence that his wife speaks the exact words of what, of what the devil said he was going to get Job to do. But you know what? Job said, you talk like one of the foolish women. He said, have not we received good at the hand of God? Shall not we receive evil? And the Bible said in all of this, Job sinned not. You say, what did Job do? Job endured... Uh, Temptation. You say the spiritless man. Yes sir, the spiritless man. And did you know the devil tempted the strongest man in the Bible? You say who was that? That was Samson. The Bible said in Judges 16.1 Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there a harlot and he went in unto her. There's a man uh, three ways. I got it wrote on this pulpit right here. Big blue letters. Been there for years. Uh, and it said the path of run for a preacher. Well, this ain't only a preacher. Uh, this could be the path of run for a Christian. And it says the fear of man or women merely imitating pride, laziness, money, and women or men. 
Those are the five things that usually bring people down. So the devil came to the strongest man in the Bible. The strongest man in the Bible had a weakness. And the devil found it. Samson was a womanizer. And when Samson was tempted with that, he failed the temptation. He, he did not endure the temptation. He failed the temptation. Unlike Joseph. Brother Noble preached to us last week about Joseph. There in Genesis, uh, I think 37, 39. Genesis 39. And Joseph was taken prisoner. And I won't go through all the story. But he wound up in Potiphar's prison. And Potiphar promoted him because he seen God was with him. And anywhere you put Joseph, blessings begin to happen because God was with him. And so he became a, one of the chief people there in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife being probably the most beautiful woman in all of the kingdom. You say, why you say that? Because Potiphar could have had anybody he wanted. So probably the most beautiful woman in all in all of Potiphar's house. And what does the devil do? The devil sends her to Joseph and she flirts with Joseph. Uh, she tries to uh, flirt with Joseph and she keeps trying to get Joseph, as the Bible says. She tries to get him to lay with her. And finally she got so desperate one day uh, that she grabbed him by the, by the coat or by the shirt. And you know what Joseph did? He peeled out of that thing and run out of there. <laughs> you know why? Because even though he didn't have a New Testament, he's doing what the New Testament says do. You say, what's it say do? It says flee youthful lust. It doesn't say stand there and try to fight it. It doesn't, it doesn't say pray about it. I had a man tell me one time uh, that, that fell into a situation like that and he said, he said Brother Rick, he said, I prayed about it the whole time. And I said, sir, I said, the Bible didn't say we're supposed to pray about it. The Bible says we're supposed to flee it. Because we're not strong enough. Joseph, what did Joseph do? Joseph endured temptation. Amen. And God blessed him. Not only the strongest man and the, and the smartest man, of the strongest man and the spiritualest man, but the smartest man in the Bible, other than Jesus. You say, who's the smartest man in the Bible? Solomon. Solomon prayed. The Lord told him, said, you can ask what you want and I'll do it. And Solomon did not pray for length of life. He did not pray for wealth. I, I can only wonder what we might pray tonight if tonight at midnight we woke up and God said, you got three wishes, ask what you want. Or you got one wish. I like that commercial. I think when you spill on television, this guy was granted one wish. And he said, I'd like to have a lot of dough. And his yard comes full of deer dough. Deers, you know, doe deers. He messed up. He didn't think about it. But the Bible said that God was pleased with Solomon's prayer. I read that one day and it caught my eye. And I asked myself, I wonder if God's pleased with Rick's prayers. Because the Bible said that God said, Solomon, because you do not ask 
for money because you did not ask for length of days. He said, I'm going to give you everything that you didn't ask for plus what you did ask for. I'm going to give you the wisdom that you asked for because he did not want the wisdom that he might be the smartest man in the world. He wanted the wisdom so he would know how to lead God's people. God heard it. Smartest man in the world. Turns out that the smartest man in the world wasn't too smart in some ways. I know God gave him wisdom and I've always wondered, Brother Eddie, Brother Sammy, I've always wondered if some of that wisdom he learned through his failure. You know, much of, much of our wisdom, if we have any, most of it we learn by failure. We failed and we know not to do that again. And Solomon had a lot of failures in his life. And the Bible said that in 1 Kings 11, 1 through 5, that it came to pass uh, uh, that when Solomon was old, uh, most of the time older people have some wisdom. But it said when Solomon was old, he had many strange women, and they turned him away to worship false gods. You say, what happened? Solomon was tempted and he failed the temptation. He failed it. You say, why do we want to endure the temptation? Well, look at it. He said, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. In other words, that's a crown. Amen. If you endure temptation. All right, look in Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12 tonight. And verses 6 through 11. And the Bible said, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God deal with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? You and I are not only to endure hardness, number one, We're not only to endure temptation, number two, you and I are to endure chastisement. You say chastisement, yes again, Jesus is our example, amen. You say, how's He our example? He wasn't chastened, He didn't have any sin, no, He didn't have any sins of His own, but He was chastened for our sins. Isaiah 53 talks about that. Amen. Talks about the the peace of our the peace of our chastisement. The Lord Jesus was chastened and he endured that. Thank God he did for you and me. Amen. But I want you to look here in these verses tonight, and I want you to look at the people of chastisement, verse six and eight. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Verse seven. God dealeth with you as with sons. If if you've been chastened by the Lord, and if you've been saved, you have been, to a greater or lesser degree. That word chastened just means corrected. And God has corrected you sometimes very severely. And sometimes it was just a, a light correction. Just like you may sometimes just tell to your children, don't do that again. If you do, I'm going to punish you. And they take that. You don't have to do anything else. Somebody said, my, 
My little child, I've never had to spank it. Well, you maybe never had to, but that don't mean it never did need it. The Bible said, the Bible said there, it says that every son whom he receiveth endureth chastisement. Sammy, that says every son. There's not a child born on this earth that doesn't need some correction. Now you might not have had to beat them to death. You have children, if you have different children, some of them are different than others. Some of them it's just a word. Some of them it is uh, take something away. And that's all you got to do. But some of them you've got you to beat them from the time they're born till they walk out of the door sometimes. You say why? They have a rebellious spirit. And the Bible said rebellion is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod will drive it far from him. Amen. You say, what's that mean? Apply that to you as God's son. Rebellion's bound up in our heart. But the rod of God's correction will drive it far from us. The people of chastisement, you can say, thank God tonight if you've ever been chastened. Chastened, when, when you talk about chastening in a, Christian setting and in a Baptist church, the first thing people think about is God's going to kill you. That's the ultimate chastening. That can happen. But that's the ultimate chastening. God's a much better parent than you and you probably didn't jump up and just beat your kid half to death. You probably give it one or two or even three chances. Amen. Look, the Bible says... Chastening just means correction. Or do you watch for the correction of God in your life? I think God chastened me. This may sound silly to you, but this particular thing, I think the Lord chastened me because I used to have another Bible just like this. And uh, I lost it. And uh, I got ready to leave. I laid it on my truck bed and I didn't forgot about it being there. Took off up the road and it slid off and I lost it. But... About a week later, a neighbor man, uh, a black preacher, he called me and he said, Brother Prophet, did you lose a Bible? I said, yes, sir, I did. And he said, I've got it. He said, I found it laying there in the road Monday. This is like Sunday when he calls or, or Saturday. And I said, well, I, you found it Monday? And he said, yeah. And I said, how come you're just calling me? He said, there's some good stuff in there and I've been writing it all down. Amen. And boy, I was so glad to get that Bible back. And then I lost it again. When I lost it that time, I kept thinking somebody would call or come. And I prayed about it every day. Nobody ever did call or come. And one day in prayer, the Lord seemed to impress upon my heart and He said, you're not getting that one back. He said, I'm going to chasten you by not letting you get it back to teach you to take better care of the Word of God. I guard this one better than I did the other one. I only told that illustration to give you an example of how God may chasten you in your life. We are to endure chastisement. 
It says it only comes to the people of God. You know what that said when God chastened me and spoke to my heart? That said God loves me, number one. I'm one of God's children, number two. Amen. The people of chastisement. I want you to look here at what he says in verse 8 in that same chapter there. He said, But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers. So he said, Everybody, if you're a child of God, there ain't nobody don't get chastened. Nobody. All right, look. In uh, Revelations 3 and 19, the Lord said this Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Somebody said, Preacher, the Lord sure loves me. I've heard, I've had young people say that, you know, we've all had our parents to whip us, you know, and they say, I'm only doing this because I love you so much. And as a little child, we're saying, please don't love me so much. But God loves us more than even the best parent we could have. God loves us more. And we are to endure chastisement. Why do we endure it? Look at verse 11. For no chastisement for the present seemeth to be joyous. No one when they got a whipping ever said, Praise God, glory to God, pour it on me mom, pour it on me dad. <laughs> no, you're, you're, running, you're running around and the worst thing you can do is try to grab them around the legs. Because they, they got you there then. The worst thing you can ever do is try to run. Makes it worse. Makes it worse. Sheila and myself, we had a mother that, that she made us go out and get her own switch. Amen. You learn about that too after a few times. Amen. But no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but is grievous. Well, here's why we endure it. Nevertheless, afterwards it yieldeth the peaceful fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. You say, what's that mean? That means the same thing you've heard people stand up, elderly people stand up and say, thank God I had a good mom and daddy. Thank God they whipped me and corrected me. Thank God I'm the person I am today because they corrected me and they loved me enough to do it. Amen. Amen. Same thing with God. When you endure the chastisement of God, which the Bible said we're supposed to do, when you endure it, it makes you a better person. Amen. And you're not out to go do it again. Not out to. The Christian is to endure chastisement. Look in 1 Peter 2 and verse 19. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endureth grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults you shall take it patiently, but if when you do well and suffer for it you take it patiently, this is acceptable of God. There's several things, and I won't go into all of them tonight, but there's several things that cause a child of God to have grief. We have to endure it. We don't have to, but we're told to. And one of the main things that causes 
us to have grief is death. The Apostle Paul said we do not sorrow as others which have no hope. In other words, people think if a Christian cries when a loved one dies, they're not spiritual. They're not all they ought to be. No, sir. We have hearts too. They hurt. They break. When a loved one dies, it hurts us when we lose our mother, when we lose our father, when we lose a husband, lose a wife. That hurts us too. But we don't sorrow as others which have no hope. We grieve but we don't grieve like we'll never see them again. I've done some funerals and I've seen some mighty, mighty heart grieving. And whenever I've seen it, the hardest like that, it usually has to do with the fact that nobody in that family is saved. They have no hope of seeing them again. No wonder they grieve that hard, Amen. Grief's always hard, but I'll tell you what, it's a whole lot better when you've got Christian faith and Christian hope and you know you'll see your mother, your daddy again, Brother Eddie, your daughter, you know you'll see her again. We're called upon to endure grief. Doesn't say it's easy, but we're called upon to do it. You say, well, what can you do but do it? Oh, people, people get mad at God. People... Get better at God. People quit church. People, uh, people get out of it and leave altogether. They're not enduring grief. But grief is something that God has called upon us to endure. Jesus is our example again. You say, how's that, Brother Rick? The Bible said, surely He hath borne our griefs. Borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus grieved at the grave of Lazarus. The shorted verse in the Bible, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Somebody said, "Why was he weeping?" Well, there may have been a there may have been a multiple reasons why he was weeping, but I believe one of the reasons he was weeping was because somebody he loved had died. Jesus endured the grief. He endured our grief. Death causes us to grieve. David was a great man of God. David was a man after God's heart. David was a man that God said that David is a man after my own heart. David was a man that God highly exalted. But David's son died tragically. You say, what did David do? He endured it. In 2 Samuel 18.33, he says some of the saddest words in the Bible, Oh, Epsilon, oh, Epsilon, oh, that I would have died in your stead. His heart's broke. David endured grief when the baby that him and Bathsheba had died. And David had went in there and it was because of his sin that the baby did die, but David went in there and he prayed and he, he prayed and fasted and would not eat anything. And finally, the baby died. And David got up and shaved his face, washed his face, asked for something to eat. You say, what's he doing? He's enduring his grief. 
He's not mad at God even though it was his own sin that caused it. He's not mad at God. He's not mad at God about that. He gets up. He washes his face. He gets him something to eat. And then you know what he does? He goes on serving God. You say, what did he do? He endured grief. Brother Rick, why do, why do you and I need to try to endure our grief? Because of verse 20. Because it's acceptable with God. That's what God accepts. That's what God wants us to do. Look in 2 Timothy 4 and 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5. But watch thou in all things endure affliction. Do the work of evangelists, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. You and I are to endure inflictions. Jesus, again, is our example. In Isaiah 53, 7, it said of Jesus, He was oppressed and He was afflicted. You say, what does that mean anyway? That which causes pain or distress or to endure it. You say, what causes afflictions in our life? Our family can cause affliction. Our family can cause pain and distress. You know who caused Jesus pain and distress? His family. He came unto His own and His own received Him not. Much affliction, much distress. And our family can cause us distress when they reject us. Our family can cause us distress when they do things that breaks our heart. They can cause us distress. But the Bible said we are to endure affliction. To endure it. What causes distress? Friends. Friends can cause affliction. In Psalms 55, listen what the Lord said in verse 12. It's talking about a Hithawell, but it's also a prophecy about Judas. And it said, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that helped me that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou a man, my equal, my God, and my acquaintance. Watch it. We took sweet counsel together and walked in the company into the house of God. You know what will bring you affliction in your life? I'll tell you what will bring affliction in your life is friends that turn against you, friends that stab you in the back, friends that leave you. That will cause affliction in your life. But you and I are to endure it. Amen. You're to endure it. Matthew 26 and verse 50. Jesus' disciples, they all forsook Him. Affliction. You know what, uh, you know what causes affliction uh, in, a, in a pastor's life? And what causes affliction in, in, a, in a Christian's life in a church setting is when other people leave 
You say, I don't believe that. Listen to Paul. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present evil world. It hurt. But right before that, he said, Luke's with me. Luke's with me. Family, friends. Not only that, the Bible says that we are to endure these afflictions. Don't quit on God. Don't blame God. Don't turn against God. Don't get bitter in your heart. Endure these things. You say, why? Because they prove us. They prove that we are, really are a child of God. That we really do love God. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 verse 36 and verse 37. And uh, the Bible says there some verses that are maybe read maybe once every three years. They're read in a church setting. But it's the faith chapter and it's talking about people of faith. And they all have endured all these things I've preached about tonight. But he said here in verse 36, And others, they're not named, their name's not there, they're not given, and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with a sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, there's our word, afflicted and tormented. But you know what? They endured it. You say, why did they endure it, Brother Rick? Verse 39, And all these having obtained a good report through faith. Amen. They done it so they could have a good report before God. Amen. I'm telling you, when you see people go through Hardness and endure it. People go through temptation and endure it. People being chastised and endure it. People endure grief and they endure it. People that endure afflictions. It strengthens those that are watching us as we go through these things. I'll close with this. One of the hardest times in my ministry was when Mar Sister Margaret Hale, who came to this church, that her, her son, Farrell, his wife, Nancy, and their nephew were all killed on a Sunday night, uh, execution style, there in the house. And to this day, they're still looking for the killer. But Glenn McGuire, Mike's dad, he found them on a Wednesday, you can imagine. And they called me and asked me to go over there to her house and let her know her son her son, her daughter-in-law, and her nephew, whom all three she tried to get to go to church with her that Sunday evening, were dead. I pulled over here on Cherry Street to this little white house where she lived, this little duplex, and there were several there. And I went in the door, and she was sitting over at a little table there in the corner. And sometimes you just don't know what to say. And I just went over there and got down took her wrinkled hands into my hand and I said, I'm so sorry. She said, Brother Rick, she said, I know the Lord says that He won't put no more on you than what you're able to bear, but 
She said, I swear I'm almost to the breaking point. I preached that funeral, three caskets laying out in front of me. Preached that funeral over here to Action Sadler Funeral Home. The next Sunday morning, Sister Margaret Hale walked into the church. And she come through the doors up there at the little building. I thought, my God, how's she doing? But you know what? That strengthened me and a whole lot of other people when they seen her come in like that. And sometime after that, able to still give a testimony for God. They let you know it's real, folks. That's why you have to endure these things. It's not about us. It's about those that are watching on. It's about our children that watch us go through these hard times and these difficult times. And they see us displaying just the smallest amount of faith. They won't forget it. Father, I thank You tonight for Lord, these scriptures tonight.